Today I'm going to start a new series. It'll be four weeks long. Uh, it'll get us up to Advent. And the series this month is about the Bible. And I just want to spend four weeks thinking about why, <clears throat> why it's important and how we ought to be incorporating it into our lives. I wanted to read... Um, text that was not on the list for Janelle to read, so uh, this is just an additional text. And it's from Numbers chapter 12. I'll read it and then I'll explain it. While they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman he had married. Uh, we think that uh, they're criticizing Moses because she's she's black. And they said, Has the woman, has the Lord rather spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? This is Aaron and Miriam, the brother and sister of Moses speaking. And the Lord heard it, heard what they had said. Now the man Moses was very humble, more so than anyone else on the face of the earth. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three. Come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud over the tent of meeting and stood at the entrance of the meeting of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward, and he said, Hear my words. And you can almost, if you could have seen God, it was almost like he was doing this, pointing his finger at them. Hear my words. When there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, made myself known to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. Not so with my servant Moses. He is entrusted with all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of God. Out of this little confrontation between God and Aaron and Miriam, Miriam develops leprosy because of God's anger with them, and they're proposing to speak for God. So God clearly makes sure that they get that in no uncertain terms, that Moses is the spokesman, and Moses is the one to whom he speaks. As he says, face to face. The other text... Uh, and I'll relate this in a while in the sermon, but the other text is from Hebrews chapter uh, 1, and uh, Janelle has already read this to us. But it's a very, very important text that I, I want you to, to think about and, and really uh, take into yourself. The Hebrew writer says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, 
and through whom he also created the world. So both of these are texts about God communicating. God communicates with Aaron and Miriam. And he says, I want you to understand that I speak through Moses. The Hebrew writer says to his audience, to the people that are reading his letter, or her letter, depending on who wrote this, that God's spoken a lot of ways through the prophets in the past, but today he's spoken by his We worship a communicating God, and I would dare to say that God's communication and his desire to communicate is one of his premier qualities. He's a communicating God. Creation was accomplished by communication. God said, let there be light, and there was light. It was through communication. God's relationship with mankind after that initial act of creation was characterized by its communication. So after Adam and Eve uh, ate the fruit, disobeyed God, God comes into the garden and he says, Hey, where have you guys been? You had been showing up for our evening visit. Communicating God. And God says, Something's different about the communication. What's happened? God communicates with Abraham. Genesis 12, well, after that, Genesis uh, 17, actually also in chapter 12. God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And then he comes to Abraham's tent and he says, I've got a couple of things I need to talk to you about. Communication. You and Sarah are going to have a kid in your old age. And I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the wickedness of those two states. Communicating God. God directed Moses to deliver the Israelites from Egyptian captivity. And later, he talks with Moses about the future of Israel, communicating God. To Paul, he gave a role to play in the presentation of the gospel to the Gentiles, and he did it through communication. To John, he gives the revelation, the last book of our Bible, communicates with him. You find these incidents all throughout Scripture. For God, in one way or another, steps down into our lives and says, this is what I'm up to, and this is what I want you to do. So knowing this pushes me in a particular direction if I take it serious. Knowing that I serve a God who loves me and who wants me to let him to, to uh, he wants to let me in on what he's thinking really opens up my life in some interesting ways to wanting to know further about this God. Makes me have greater awe about the Bible. It it uh, makes me want to know what God wants to tell me. I think that's what the Bible reflects: is the way He has used people and events and time 
to let us in on his work makes me wonder this gets back to what Bev was talking about our, our wants and our oughts how those don't always match up and knowing that I have this God that wants to communicate me, with me makes me Makes me want to think about how I make a place in my often too very crowded life to listen to God. I'll talk more about that in a while. And it makes me wonder how I'm going to let this have a greater place in this my heart so that it informs my life and helps me to live in a way that is authentic and real and has integrity in it and honors this God that wants to be. So that's kind of food for thought as we work our way through this. But um, today I want to talk about why the Bible is important. I want to go back to uh, the first point that we've made, and that is that God is a communicator. One of the things that you find about this God is that he wants us to take him seriously. He wants us to take him seriously. And how often do we blow him off? In the way that we use our time, in the way that we, we treat his word or don't treat it. God says, look, I'm really serious about this. I really want to have a place in your life and I want to make a difference in your life. I want you to take me seriously. The way that got treated in Numbers 12 is that he rebuked Miriam and Aaron because they pretended to speak for God. They didn't take him seriously. And Miriam got a temporary case of leprosy because of it. It's God's way of saying, I want you to... To listen up. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. And I am dead serious about it. That's Loke's translation, but that's what God was saying to Miriam. He says, when there are prophets, I make myself known to them in visions, but not so with Moses. I speak to him face to face. That's picked up again in, number, in Exodus chapter 33 where Moses goes to the tent of meetings. We've talked about that before in the sermon. And it says, Thus God used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his people. There are lots of places in the Bible that say things like this. Jeremiah 26, Heed the words of my prophets whom I send to you. That's God speaking. God again, I persistently sent to you my prophets, but you would not listen. That is again from Jeremiah. From Hosea, I spoke to the prophets. It was I, whom I, God, who multiplied the visions. What he's saying there is, I was the one that was concerned about the communication. It was I who pursued them. It was I who opened up the gates of communication. I God. Too often it doesn't go the other way, does it? That we don't return that favor to God. Uh, from Hebrews chapter 12, 
see to it that you do not refuse the one who is speaking. The Hebrew writer says to his audience. Don't refuse God. Make sure you listen. So God is a communicator, and he communicates with great seriousness. He really wants us to understand what he has to say to us and to treat it with great seriousness. God is also persistent. He's so persistent. Francis Thompson wrote an epic poem. It's a monster long poem called The Hound of Heaven. And the Hound of Heaven is about God. And in his poem, in his long epic poem, he pictures God as this big hound dog. I can just see the, the long floppy ears and the loping pace of this dog that pursues us down to what Thompson calls the lab, labyrinthine ways of time. He just keeps after us. He just keeps pursuing us. Because he loves us and doesn't give up. That's the persistence of God. In his second letter, uh, Peter told his readers that God's apparent slowness, the fact that um, the kingdom has not come in its fullness yet, and the time that we expect has not come yet, Peter says, don't get too impatient here. That's God's way of giving you an opportunity to repent. He's a persistent God. He doesn't give up easily. Using a, a different metaphor, the Hebrew writer said that God has been persistent in sending the prophets in many and various ways. God's used lots of different methods to get his message across. And in these last days, the most powerful message of all was his son Jesus. The message came in fleshly form to us. The Hebrew writer urges his readers to pay attention to what we've heard. He says, if you don't pay attention, the danger always exists that you'll drift away from. You'll drift away from it. You know, I, I, I found that my uh, low-fat diet was far easier to keep a year or two or three after my heart attack. But as time wore on, it became more difficult to keep that diet. And that's what the Hebrew writers say. If, if you don't stay on mark, if you don't keep your disciplines, you can drift away from it. One of the touching stories of persistence is the story of, of Hosea. And the prophecy of Hosea is a lived parable. You know, Jesus told parables and he would tell people these hypothetical stories about somebody that lost something. And he'd tell them a story. But Hosea didn't tell a story. He lived a story. The story went like this. God told Hosea, I want you to go into the red light district of Amsterdam. And I, I want you to go down where all the prostitutes are, where they stand in the windows. And I want you to pick a wife. Well, that's not what my daddy told me about picking a wife. 
But see, this is a lived parable, and there's a point to it. So Hosea goes down to the red light district in Amsterdam, and he finds a wife named Gomer, and he takes her home. And they get married. They have three children. And after that, Gomer says, you know, I really long for the good old days back in the red light district. And so she goes back and gets in a storefront window and flies her wares. And God says to Hosea, I want you to go back down there and find Gomer, and I want you to bring her back home. Well, if you were if you were up to what God was saying in that message, you know that, that Gomer was really Israel. And Hosea stood for God. And God was saying to Israel, that's how much I love you. First of all, your life, when I chose you, when I picked you, was no better than Gomer's was. And you have, in spite of our relationship, in spite of all that we've been through together, you have gone back and picked that life up again, and I still love you. It's a persistent God. In the Bible, we learn this story. This is the story of the Bible from start to finish. It's it's the story of this persistent God that loves us so deeply that he just keeps coming back and coming back. And why wouldn't we want to know that? That's a story that, that will sell newspapers, I'm telling you, in this dark world. Because how many times do we find that people are willing to reject us quite quickly when we make a mistake, when we say the wrong thing? And they just give up on us. But God says, I love you. I'm in it for the long haul. So far we've said that God is communicating and revealing, and we've also said that he's persistent. I'd like to finish with what Paul told Timothy, the young preacher. Uh, he, he says, uh, Timothy, I, I want you to understand that all Scripture is inspired by God. And at this point, he's talking about the Old Testament, because the New Testament doesn't exist at this point. All Scripture is inspired by God. In other words, what Paul is saying is that it issues from God. It's God speaking to us. We need to pay attention to it. He says, number two, that Scripture is beneficial in many ways, including teaching, reproof, correction, and correction. It has a beneficial effect on us. This story has holes in it, I, I realize. When I was talking about it this morning when I was preaching through the sermon, I... I realize there's some holes in it, but I think you'll get my point. I was listening to NPR coming in, and uh, one of the stories was about a man in New England who wanted to, I mean, he does travel things, I think. I only heard a little piece of the story. Uh, he does travel stories, and he wanted to go to the South and, uh, and do some travel stories, and South's the belt of the Bible uh, it's the Bible Belt. That's how we kind of think of the South. And uh, 
So he talks about how he, he's made multiple trips to the South. He just keeps going back. And he said, I, I don't try to go to the tourist spots. I try to go to off the beaten path kinds of places. And he really looks for people. He wants people's stories. He wants to get to know people. And he said, one day, he said, I, I went, I had my map out. I was in my car and I was trying to find this church that I was going to go to. And he said, this, this lady pulls up. She sees me looking at my map. She says, honey, are you lost? He's, that would be said itself. He said, uh, yeah, I'm trying to find this church. And she said, well, I know where that church is. Follow me. Just follow me. So she drives off and she goes three miles out of her way. She's going to church too, but three miles out of her way to make sure that he got to that church. And he said, you know, that would never happen. He said, you say hi to people and they look at you like you're asking them to pay your taxes. That's a quote. And so here's what I was thinking as, as he was telling this story. We have a society that is steeped in understanding the Bible. And in spite of all the bad things that you can find in the South, you still have people who take those things seriously. And it affects the way they treat each other, the way they talk to each other, what they're willing to do for you. And it, that story made me think of what Paul was telling Timothy. He said, Scripture's inspired, and it's beneficial. It makes us better. Now, don't take my story too closely, because it has holes in it. I realize that. But I think you get that the Bible, carefully applied, changes us. It makes us better. And third, person who gives attention to it, Paul tells Timothy, is proficient and well-trained. And I'd have to say amen to that. When I did a search on the word teach, I found it 124 times in 114 verses in the New Testament. That's quite a bit. But the word teach is used over and over and over again. Uh, it's used 227 times and 217 verses in the whole Bible. As Moses is about to dispatch the children of Israel into the promised land, he tells the parents, teach your children. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young took that verse and turned it into a song called Teach Your Children. James wrote that to fail to incorporate the words of God is like someone who looks in a mirror and immediately forgets what they look at. The Word of God's like a mirror. It tells us who we are and what God wants to do with us and what our potential is. And if I don't take it seriously, I'm like a guy that goes up and looks in a mirror and immediately forgets. Clearly, God wants us to be shaped by his words to us. He wants us to take it seriously. I think that Psalms 119 is a good place to conclude. It's the longest verse, along this chapter, rather, in the Bible. 
really worth reading. Because in that one chapter, you have the words of somebody that adores the words of God and realizes what their power, what the power of those words are in his or her life. And so they say, this person says, you've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. I treasure your words in my heart so that I may not sin against you. I run the way of your commandments for you enlarge my understanding. Your word is a lamp to to my feet and a light to my path. Just see things that are said throughout that chapter about the value of God's word. Ezekiel was told to eat a scroll on which words from God were written. And Ezekiel says, I ate the scroll, and in my mouth it was as sweet as honey. I, I can't imagine Epaphras being as sweet as honey. But I think what Ezekiel was saying was, that's symbolically what the meaning of God's word is to me. That's its value for me. God's intention for his word to us was that we would take it into ourselves, knowing that it comes from a communicating and persistent God who wants us to incorporate it in our lives. Um, I'd like to uh, suggest a couple of things uh, as a way to conclude. Number one, I think that all of this means that I need to be making time I mean, absolutely choosing to make time in my life for God. Daily. Prayer, meditation, reading His Word doesn't have to be long, but I really need to make a habit of listening to God. Number two, sort of like that or sort of part of that is creating a discipline that incorporates that Word in my life. I know myself better than anybody else, and what do I need to do in order to make sure that that word lives in me and forms my life? That informs me and helps me to understand how I how I treat other people. What kind of words I use, what kind of worker I am, and what kind of partner I am. It's all there. I think that's the implications of this. And then I would like to ask you to think about something. It's my final thought and we'll pray. Think about how LifeSpring could read God's Word together through 24. I'll give you some options and some things to think about. It might be just the New Testament to read together, or it might be the whole Bible, or whatever. It didn't matter. But we would make an agreement together to, to read the Bible together. And we talk about it today in, in various ways. Do that so far. What would that look like? So with that, let's pray. Dear God, may we give a place for your word in our lives. May we listen to you. We seek to know your will. In Jesus' name.